right. I think I've offended enough people on today's show, Gordes. Is there anything else you want to add? No, let's offend people in the next episode. <laughs> Welcome to Bitcoin Basics with your hosts, Faris and Gordon. Visit bitcoinbasics.help if you need help buying and securing your Bitcoin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Basics podcast. I am your host, Faris, here with Gordon once again. And just to keep up with the times, my pronouns are the, it, and manchild. Now, the price of Bitcoin is 38690 the block height is 734,636. Gordon, how are you doing and what are your pronouns? I won't mention that because I don't want to alienate our uh, massive uh, alphabet audience, but probably by saying that I did actually alienate them. So I'll just, maybe we just edit that out. No, let's leave it. Uh, I'm good. Uh, thanks, buddy. What uh, are we talking about today? So today we are talking about Web 3.0. That's something that is making the rounds on the crypto Twitter sphere. And obviously part of the reason is Elon Musk, who's a crypto enthusiast, if we want to call him that. Um, though some of his choices in crypto are questionable, bought Twitter. Um, and so a lot of the Bitcoin people are very happy about that. Um, now, Gordon, you mentioned just before you went to air that it's worth mentioning Web 1.0 and 2.0, which to be honest, I think I've heard that in the past, but I can't remember what they were. So before we talk about what is Web 3.0, tell us the history of the internet in 93 seconds. Uh, I reckon I could do it in 90 seconds. So uh, feel free to butt in, Ferris. This uh, I'll try and keep this short, but I think I do think it's interesting. So uh, before we had the World Wide Web, and I know a lot of people use Internet and World Wide Web, the same thing. They're not. Um, so a really brief history is the Internet, uh, which actually started out as DARPA Net. Yes, that DARPA in America. Uh, in the 1970s, um, the US were actually afraid that Russians were going to lob some nuclear missiles. So they wanted to decentralize um, information. And so they created something called ARPA, Net, which morphed into the internet. It was basically used at universities and a few defense contractors in the 1970s. And all the way up until, to say, the early 1990s, you didn't have this World Wide Web. You had this thing called the internet. And for those, yes, I'm old. Faris, you're old as well. We remember, okay, I'll speak for myself, uh, dialing up. So I, I'm going to edit the dialing in sound that you connected your modem which was kind of like this computer phone which converted analog to digital and digital and analog and whatever and i actually hassled my dad so much because whenever you wanted to use your computer with this modem someone else couldn't be on the phone so my mom was constantly on the phone i'm like mom get off the phone i need to you know download porn from you know whatever the internet or whatnot um so i hassled my parents <laughs> don't worry they don't listen to this I hassled my parents so much <laughs> that, uh, that we actually got a separate phone line. But anyway, that was dial-up and internet and that kind of stuff. That was before the World Wide Web. And, you know, you could check your email. I remember at university, actually, you went into university. And if you wanted to check your email, you did it sort of by command line, you know, typing in these commands. There was no mouse and, you know, uh, nice Gmail sort of interface. So that's the internet. The internet is basically... The, the hardware, the massive undersea cables, 
but it's also, you know, your router that you've got in your back room providing Wi-Fi and everything in between. That is the internet and that is decentralized. So that is internet literally means a network of networks. So think of the internet as hardware. Um, the Skype app on your phone or the Telegram app or, or Skype, uh, whatever. Sorry, Gordon. Yeah. Let me jump in for a second. Sure. There. Um, so just to recap, the birth of the internet. So web 1.0, that was essentially just a file sharing communications. Um, sharing no, I haven't service. even got to the web yet. No, no. So DARPA is what I'm referring to here. So DARPA is where it began. And that was just no, a file I sharing service. I haven't service got for- to the World Wide Web yet. But hang on, I thought this was what wasn't, wasn't DARPA where we began. No. So I'm talking about the internet and where I've got to the point mid 1990s where we're about to introduce the World Wide Web. Yes. Yes. So that, that's sorry. That's where I'm with you. So DARPA actually began as a file sharing service for the, the Pentagon. That's where it began. Yeah. I would, let's just say the internet, not, not really file sharing, but yeah. Okay. So it just began as a communication method for an internal communication method. Um, and that's where they laid down a cable so they can share um, information between departments on different parts of the country. So it was it was centralized within the United States. Is that correct? Yeah, well, it was kind of a little bit decentralized, but mostly amongst universities and defense contractors initially. Right. Because, yeah. Um, okay. And at that stage, like, was it part of NATO? Did they start communicating with other countries in NATO where they say, okay, we want to communicate with you guys using this? And I'm using inverted quotes, internet. Uh, historians would probably know better than I would, but yeah, I mean, it, that's where it started. The new U.S. universities, you know, five yeah. or six of them, a couple of defense contractors, and then yeah, spread. Caltech's one of the big yeah. ones, isn't it? Okay, yeah, then it, then right. it spread. So we started there, where it was basically just underground cables communicating um, within America. That's where it originated. ARPANET, yes. ARPANET. Okay. Now we move in. So that was that web 1.0 is what you're referring to or not even there yet? No, we haven't got to the web yet. Okay, cool. All right. Sorry. Proceed. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. No, no, please interrupt because I'll, I'll continue to talk on it. And, and actually, uh, one of, I used to teach computer science and it sounds like a really simple question, but the grade 12 uh, question for computer science students is what is the difference between the internet and the World Wide Web? Yeah. And they have, they have to actually go into great detail about that. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so basically we're up to the mid-1990s. Um, there's email. Um, you, there's this dial-up thing, and I'll edit the sound in, mm-hmm. uh, which I absolutely love nostalgically. And, but, but there wasn't sort of the ability to, Hey, I want to check out a small business sort of online and check out the details, whatever. We're still looking at phone books and yellow pages and white pages, all that kind of stuff. So, um, up until that point, we had the internet and the internet was basically dialing in to some server, wherever, maybe a local company in your city, your university or, or, uh, CompuServe was one of the biggest, um, yeah, sort of that. most popular. AOL, I don't know if people remember getting a CD and people are like, what the hell are you talking about CDs uh, in the mail to install AOL's malware and ransomware on your computer to get you started. Um, That's internet. Gordon, how did we go from this was something used by the American government to now everyone can access it? How did that that transition take place? Okay. So, um, yeah, so... 1970s, ARPANET, 
morphed into the internet by about the 1990s. Everyone was using it, not just um, academia, but uh, personal people on their PCs at home and dial up and all that kind of stuff. So, sorry, the US government just released it for free or how did that work? Uh, I'm not too sure of the history of that, but I think once people outside of academia sort of saw this as a cool thing that they wanted to get involved with, then that sort of became known as the internet. Okay. Uh, So now we're released it, but so internet 1.0 was that when everyone got their modem and the dot the dial-up modems that's the beginning uh, that's just internet we don't don't have any versions or anything just just internet um just the internet then started okay and so now we're at a point of around about the mid 1990s where most houses well not most houses but many houses have the internet especially in the western world um, you can't do a lot with it though. You can dial up to stuff. You can send messages. There was email, mm-hmm. there was game servers. I remember text games where you type in, you know, walk North open door and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we didn't have this notion of web browsers. So there was no Firefox or Chrome or Safari, or whatever that changed in around about the mid 1990s. Um, what we know of now is sort of web 1.0 web version one, a guy called Tim Berners-Lee created this thing called hypertext markup language, HTML. And that was a way to have this specific program that we now know as a web browser to create this language whereby it's not just a document of text. There are actually links in this document, which would link to another document. And a lot of people say, yeah, so what? But but back in the day, in the 1990s, we didn't have that. And there was sort of no way to sort of have a website. There was no way to catalog all this information. And he actually did it working for CERN because they had so much data and information that they needed a way to catalog and to be able to view this information. And that is basically the birth of Web 1.0. These static, not moving, not interesting, essentially text on a page with links, maybe a couple of images um that yeah was was on i mean one of my first assignments for us was to create a a, a basic web page that was web 1.0 okay cool so at this stage we've gone to yeah it's more interactive it's not static and so yeah it's not just a static web page you can do things within the web page yeah so web 1.0 was a static web page that didn't move. There was no interaction. It was basically a web page or a series of web pages hosted in a central location, whether it was a mm-hmm. university, at a company, whatnot. Even at this stage, many small businesses didn't have their own website. There was really no need to. Um, and the key word here is centralized. So it was centralized somewhere. And uh, yeah, there was basically no interaction. Someone put some information on a page, people viewed it. That's where cool. 1.0. So what was the next step? How did we evolve from there? Um, yeah, so that, there's no sort of agreement on where and what time Web 2.0 came about. It was probably the mid sort of after the Y2K stuff, around about that time, around about 2000s. Mm-hmm. So instead of having a static page that you know someone created and it might look nice with pictures or whatever, there's no interaction. Uh, that's that's Web 2.0, and that's where we are today. So it's still centralized. So you have websites, you know, our website, for example, bitcoinbasics.help, 
it's centralized. It's in a central location. It's, you know, on our server. Uh, we produce the content. Sure, there's a little bit of interaction. You can fill out a form and, and whatnot. Um, but essentially, actually, Faris, our website is Web 1.0, to be honest. Um, it's sort of one-way uh, communication. Web 2.0 is more things like Facebook, um, social media. That's where it's not just the, dev- the uh, creator of the content. You can actually get feedback. And the keyword here is user-generated content. So YouTube is having people generate videos. They're uploading the videos. And so all of YouTube's content doesn't come from Google. YouTube's content comes from its users itself. So that's the key difference with web 2.0. So around this time, this is yeah, just after okay, um, the new millennium kicked in. Um, I, I remember reading President Bill Clinton at the time allowed consumer access to the GPS system because the GPS system that we use today for Uber maps, all this kind of stuff on our phones that used to be controlled and encrypted by the um, defense departments. And basically Bill Clinton said, open it up and you allow consumer access to the GPS system. Was that in any way relevant to the development of web 2.0? I mean, I know it came on later when we had these, you know, location enabled apps, but at the time, was that in any way relevant to the internet? I, I guess it is, but the, the key thing with and what you're talking about is not necessarily web uh, opening access to something. Um, Facebook has open access to some data that, for example, advertisers can essentially mine your personal data. So uh, open access to something isn't really the same thing. Um the keyword here again, and Web 2.0 is, is what we have now. I think the keyword really is centralization. So even though YouTube, for example, has user-generated content, so there's more participation from users, it's still centralized. So yes, uh, we have cool things like um, videos and all kinds of interaction and whatever, but at the end of the day, the content is still controlled by the content creator. All right, sorry, I'll just jump in, Gord, um, just give you a break from talking so much because um, <laughs> your throat's giving away. So in summary, um, what started out as just an internal communication method for the Department of Defense had servers housing universities that grew into something that the users could jump on, but you just access a web page. You just basically absorb information. You don't actually interact with the internet or a web page. That was Web 1.0. Web 2.0, um, at the turn of year 2000, that era, was you could actually start interacting with the internet in that you could now upload your own content. Is that a fair summary of where we are? Uh, Web 2.0, yeah, user-generated content, yeah. Okay. Sorry, Web 2.2 or 2.0, is there a difference there? Uh, people like to say web 2.0, web one. It's like web one, web two, whatever. Same, okay. same thing. Cool. And oh, by the way, guys, if you're looking for any contemporary shows that'll help you with this stuff or quite entertaining, Big Bang Theory, they talk about this stuff all the time. Like every now and again, they'll go play old video games and you'll see them play um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, where as Gordon just said, you, you know, press walk forward, you know, and enter. Um, another show that came out, which was really helped you understand the early days of the internet is the, um, oh, what's it called? Pam and, I think it's called Pam and Tommy, but it was about the um, Pamela Anderson, Tommy Lee sex tape and how that was one of the first things to be sold on the internet. Um, I forget the name of the show. It's on Disney. 
Um, but yeah, it, it's really interesting to see one of the guys just go through trying to sell this thing on the internet and how that evolved. So, sorry, guards. So, after Web 2.0, what happened? I don't know how I fell up from that. Yeah. What, 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 sorry, what was that? After Web 2.0, what happened? What happened, Faris? I don't know what happens. We're in currently Web 2.0. So, that's where we are today. So, when, when the smartphone was introduced, that just used existing infrastructure, but wasn't the infrastructure underground? Wasn't it cables underground? How did we go from a computer that was plugged into a modem to a device that is always connected? Because like you say, I remember when you wanted to go online, you'd make an announcement to the house, I'm going online to make sure no one's expecting a phone call or about to make a phone call. So how do we go from going online to being online um, cordlessly? Yeah, um, that is what we call ubiquitous internet. Um, so that, 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 that had nothing to do with World Wide Web. That, just think of the internet as like the infrastructure, the hardware, the software that connects everything. The World Wide Web is basically anything through your web browser. So an example would be www.facebook.com. Whether you're looking at that on Firefox, Chrome, Safari, whatever, that is the World Wide Web. Facebook app on your phone is the internet. So the Facebook app on your phone is not using the World Wide Web, it's using the internet. So I think of all the examples you could have provided of the World Wide Web, you coming up with Facebook just gave me a heart attack. <laughs> I knew you'd like that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you, ubiquitous computing, and that, that really changed when we had Wi-Fi. So Wi-Fi kind of changed the way that we work, with the way we lived. Um, smartphones as well, you could be constantly connected. Um, nothing to do with the World Wide Web. That was basically the, the infrastructure sort of evolved from this dial-up modem that was at your house to faster and faster, faster modems. And even nowadays, a lot of people have a modem. They don't know that it's called a modem. They call it a router. It's sort of all-in-one device. Mm. But that actually connects to your internet service provider. And yes, it's a more sophisticated and faster way to do it, but it's still a modem. You can't get the internet without that device. So is the majority of the internet today still run on these cables? Because I, I remember hearing a podcast recently where leading up to the war in Ukraine, a 16-kilometer stretch of cable, internet cable, was cut off of the Scandinavian Ocean somewhere. And that was just part of the cyber warfare going on. Um, so how much of the internet are we still using underground cables? How much of the internet is actually through satellites? Uh I don't have those statistics, but I'd guess that maybe 99% of the internet is underground sea cables, 1% or maybe up to 5% is using satellite. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's, it's, it's big money. So, for example, between the US, I think the US has maybe got um, eight or nine um, huge uh, cables coming in and out of it. There's actually a map. It's absolutely fantastic. I can't remember the name of it. I will link it in the show notes. It's interactive, so you can actually look at sort of like a world map and you can see all the lines coming in and out of your country and what uh, city they go into and where they come out of. Um, and you can also see the redundancy. So, for example, there are some that go via Hawaii and some go via mm. different uh, countries and whatnot. And, um, yeah, it's really big money. I mean, you've got these multi-million dollar, billion dollar companies, like their whole... Uh, industry is laying these underground sea cables and there's actually youtube videos you can watch of these submarines and they drop the cable you know down into the water you know in the middle of the pacific ocean or whatever 
um, yeah, it's really big money. Um, there's a joke of a, a certain country that I used to live in, in Southeast Asia, that the, uh, the China, that whenever the internet was um, terrible and kept on disconnecting or whatever, they always blamed it on the Chinese sharks. The Chinese sharks were eating the cables <laughs> of the country, which is a joke. Uh, until I actually read it in one of the official sort of government posts, they said, they actually blamed it. They said, yeah, it's the Chinese sharks are at the internet again. I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Is this April <laughs> fools? What's going on? But, um, oh, man. the Russian mafia has actually been accused of tampering with, uh, a lot of these cables underground and, and above land as well. Mm. Um, either sabotaging them, either cutting them or, um, you know, tapping them, trying to, tap in and, and hack them and that sort of stuff. And, and when you think about it, like in the middle, if, if you've got a submarine and you're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, obviously it's a big operation and you cut a cable, it might take a week or something yeah. for, a, for a ship to come out. And, and yeah. that's why there's all this redundancy. So the internet, not only uh, are the underground sea cables and land cables or whatever, but the routers and all the cables on land or whatever, it's decentralized. So no one owns it. It is actually a fairly good example of a decentralized system so that if one person or one actor or even one government decides to censor information or freeze or stop it, it the traffic and the internet traffic just routes around it. It's like, okay, that, that link to that particular thing, that's slow or that's dead. We're just going to route around it. And that's true decentralization. And that's really the beauty of the design of the internet is no one owns it, no one controls it. It is decentralized and it basically is sort of self, self healing, I guess is, is the best word. Cool. That's, yeah. And that's an example whenever I'm talking about Bitcoin, the value of Bitcoin I like to use. It's a, you know, when the internet came out, no one could actually buy shares in the internet itself. You can stake, you know, in the internet itself. You had to buy shares in companies that use the internet. Bitcoin's very different. Bitcoin, you're buying into this new asset class. And that's something that we'll, we'll take a break now. Um, yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about web 3.0 and Bitcoin in the next series here. Um, and just one more question, Warren, since we're on the topic, what really are chemtrails? <laughs> you can look that up for yourself. <laughs> I'm kidding, guys. I might be, we might use that as clickbait. Who knows what kind of <laughs> listeners we'll get then? All right. I think I've offended enough people on today's show, Gords. Is there anything else you want to add? No, let's offend people in the next episode. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in, everyone, and we'll catch you with the next episode when we actually do talk about Web 3.0. And remember, everyone, you can actually pose any question you want. Just go to bitcoinbasics.help. We are on all the different platforms when it comes to listening to the show, and we really do appreciate listener-driven questions because it means we're answering the questions that you guys want to hear. So please go to bitcoinbasics.help and subscribe, get in touch. Love to hear from you. Thanks for watching or listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe, and share so we can spread this educational content to others like yourself. Visit bitcoinbasics.help. Disclaimer. Any content provided by CoinCompass is for educational and informational purposes only and is not investment, legal, tax, or any other professional advice. A qualified professional should be consulted before making any financial decisions. CoinCompass will at times recommend certain products, services, and technologies, but these are opinions based upon our own or podcast guests' experience and not endorsements. We take no liability for out-of-date or inaccurate information, software bugs, manufacturing errors, technology misuse, or issues involving third parties. Visit coincompass.com for more information and please contact us.